Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Okay, Sharon, we're back in the studio at a distance again today. This is, uh, you know, we've done this a few times this week, just trying to keep our listeners up to date on what's going on with uh, COVID-19, and uh, today we've got a really special treat. That's right. Last night, we had a virtual happy hour with Fab Four, and we were talking about some of the things that my friend Jackie Rolls were seeing around the world. Um, and of course, Peanut thinks she's got to get in on the action again. I stuffed her upstairs, but she's still very loud, all six <laughs> pounds of her. But that being said, we thought that it would be good to get Jackie on to talk to us a little bit about what's going on around the world, because I know she's been truly busy dealing um, with a lot of this. So Jackie, What's the situation like in the rest of the world and the effects on nurse anesthesia with COVID-19? That's a really big question. There has been so much going on uh, around the world, as everyone knows, and especially we hear a lot about Italy, France, and Spain right now, but COVID-19 is everywhere. Overall, I can say I've been in touch with probably and heard from maybe 28 of our country national reps from, and there's 43 countries we have in IFNA, mainly because we had to cancel a face-to-face board meeting in May, mid-May in Croatia. And on top of COVID-19, Croatia had an earthquake. So it's, it's a lot going on. I was actually in France on February, I think what day it was, I think 26th or 27th, whatever that Thursday was, speaking at one of our schools at IFITS. And it is a healthcare school. We have a nurse anesthesia program there with 24 students a year. And I went in to speak with them. The students actually had a leadership day and they lead the conference. It was really, really cool. Well, all of those students, the government pays for nursing salaries at a lot of countries when they go to nurse anesthesia school, and then they come back and they work at government hospitals. Within about a week and a half after that time, they were all pulled back into ICUs in their country. The school is closed. They are on the front lines. Their program director is a military reserve and was waiting for assignment to a military hospital. If you've kept up with France, things are very dire there. We don't have a rep in Italy, but we hear just from people that have friends that are Italian. And I think Italy's been pretty accurately portrayed in the news. France has been very hard hit. They are only allowed outside with permission slips. 
they are been quarantined. Um, even retired personnel have been notified that they're on call. Healthcare personnel, nurses, nurse anesthetists, they've been turning their PACUs into OR or into ICU beds and putting two patients into each OR. They have tents, much like we're setting up now, to pre-screen patients before they are admitted to the hospital. Uh, They're allowed to go out to the pharmacy, you know, to the grocery. Same thing in Spain. I heard from our Spain rep yesterday. And if you've looked at the news today, we can't all even avoid it. Spain and France are hand in hand with the number of cases and we're going to be catching up soon in the U S. So that was pretty close and personal to me after spending a whole day with these students and kind of getting to know them a little bit and seeing how wonderful they were to think that their whole education is stopped right now and that we could lose some of them. Jackie, are are they utilizing the students in the care as well at this point over there? They're utilizing the students as intensive care nurses. They've just been pulled back to the ICUs. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, you know, I I know that I'm hearing stories about students here and not being able to get their clinicals and so forth. Are they using students here as well in those capacities? Right now, from what I know, you know, I'm a uh, faculty at Texas Christian University and students were pulled out of clinicals unless they could have protective masks. Most universities have pulled their students completely out of clinical. It's a really difficult situation for ones that are graduating, like our class graduates in December. If they were in a specialty rotation, it's going to be hard to reschedule. So we all at the academic level have a lot we're going to have to do to help these students. It's really a protective thing. Um, There are students who have been considering going back and working in the ER or ICUs as needed. There's some questions about how that's going to be handled. COA actually put out Council on Accreditation, a statement I was just reading a little bit ago, that they may volunteer on their own time. And they may only work as an RN, and it has to be stated that they are not working as a student anesthetist because they've not finished anesthesia training, and they're not allowed as a student anesthetist to work in anesthesia somewhere. That's a council standard. And the council also has a standard that says if our students' clinical is disrupted, we have to provide other instruction for them. So I think all schools are scrambling to work on that as well as mm-hmm. everyone's had to go to, you know, online teaching. We've lost our anatomy labs. We've lost our SIM labs. So there's, there's a lot to do. I personally don't know any nurse anesthesia students who are working uh, as a critical care nurse now, but there could be some out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, globally, I will tell you from Paris, I went on the train to Brussels right after it. We'd been working two years on a European patient safety anesthesia summit. The European Society of Anesthesiologists hosted it. IFNA was one of the other sponsoring partners, the only nursing organization. So I got to Brussels on that Monday and the summit was supposed to be March 3rd and 4th. And our executive director who lives in France and I took the train together Monday night at the planning dinner, they announced that the European Parliament was closing all meetings for three weeks. So we had one day of our two-day summit, which was interesting to try to get two days into one and get all the important things done. And then we all had to leave 
And several of the people from other countries, the minute they got back, they were quarantined for 14 days. Hmm. I came back through the U.S. What they asked me on the 5th of March was, have you been to Italy? Have you been to Iran? And I had it. Um, but you can tell in Europe how quick it spread. Almost all the cases I know of hearing from our reps in Switzerland and other places around Germany, they've traced them back to somebody in Italy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Small world. Jackie, as you're talking to these anesthetists, I mean, what is the demeanor around the world? I mean, I know you have a lot of close friends in IFNA. Um, I do. What, or how I do. are they holding up? You know, I, I will say there's, it's very solemn right now yeah. for a lot of reasons, mainly because everybody's in the same boat the U.S. is getting to where we don't have ventilatory capacity in Liberia where they were the epicenter of Ebola, their rep had contacted me and said, we have 10 ventilators for the whole country and less than 100 even oxygenators. It's going to wipe them out um, if it really hits bad. Now, I was on a conference call with Liberia 6 a.m. yesterday morning, along with Northeastern University, who is a kind of partner with the Phoebe program in Liberia. We also had people from Partners in Health and Harvard uh, medical faculty physicians and an intensivist I, somewhere from Boston. I'm, I'm sorry. We had a really good discussion. And I said, we should probably be trying to take Africa right now and use them to teach the rest of the world. While they don't have all the resources, equipment they need, they know how to take care of a very contagious patient because of Ebola and especially in Liberia. And we could learn a lot from them. That's a very good point. So if you could elaborate a little bit more on how these other countries are, for lack of a better term, repurposing CRNAs, uh, nurse anesthetists. I know CRNA is a term, just uh, an American term. Um, So how are they repurposing nurse anesthetists in these other countries? From what I have been told, it's really just an all hands on deck. So where can you come help out? And majority, of course, of them are being looked at for their airway management. There's intubation teams some places. There's uh, ventilatory needs to run a ventilator to help set them up, maybe educate someone else how to do it if there's help needed. And there's been times I've heard people are just pushing stretchers, doing whatever they can. Triage, people have volunteered to do triage or emergency room. It's really all hands on deck. Well, we're hoping that we have flattened the the curve here in the United States. But I think that the knowledge that you gain from your reps in other countries, it might be important for us as a, a group and association in the United States to look at that. If we don't reach those levels, which we're all keeping our fingers crossed that we won't, because we need to develop plans going forward because you look at the blogs and all the questions and what does it mean if I go back and practice as an ICU nurse and, you know, all of these executive orders that are being issued right now, allowing APRNs to function to their full scope. I mean, this is going to be a learning curve for all of us as we go forward, but it's something that looking back, we're going to have to do 
uh, big postmortems on all of this, and maybe that's the not the best term that I could pick to use this no, at this I, particular I, point. I agree. We're going to have to go back and do a really big in-depth analysis and decide how we're going to prepare because in my mind, this could happen at any time. And I know friends of mine who have been in Africa doing site visits for IFNA or just helping out in different African countries, been in the ORs and had said, there's N95 masks hanging on the wall there ready. Hmm. Where here, we know that they've said, oh, we're not even using them except if we know someone has it. And even if we found out someone had it, we can't get them some places. So I know it's a smaller number of ORs, but just the fact that they're prepared, they have everything ready to go. If they heard right now you had someone they in the OR could get dressed wow. and protect themselves. Are most of the places around the world, do they have the gloves and masks and stuff that they need? I mean, you know, we're hearing about this here more and more that, you know, we're, we just don't have what we need in this environment. And that'll lead into another question, but I just wonder how the rest of the world is doing. You know, it's been mixed. Um, I've heard places that said, yes, we do have what we need. And then other places have said, no, you know, we don't. Interestingly, again, Africa's well prepared. Hmm. Wow. So I think there was a big lesson learned from Ebola. Yeah. That you've got to prepare for the future. And again, they don't have as many operating rooms and hospitals, but they're prepared. And so moving forward, you know, it's going to cost a little money to be prepared. Well, how much is it costing us now? Just a you know right. two and a half trillion, two, maybe two upwards trillion of four dollars. trillion dollars. <laughs> well, I mean, and it's, it's what people don't think. They're thinking about this is the cost of surgical masks. This is the cost of gowns and gloves. But look what right. it's done to us. It's cost yeah. the whole economy, the whole Absolutely. world's economy. Absolutely. Why, you why can't do even you put a price on that, Jackie? Why do you think we were so? underprepared. I mean, I know that they have task force and that, you know, Mm -hmm. you have government agencies out there that supposedly plan for it, but it just, this is like, this just came out of left field. You know, that's a hard question. And it depends on what you read, because you read a lot saying that we had budget cuts and some of these areas for pandemic studies uh, were cut. I don't know what the budget was before, what they were doing. What I do know in my mind is that we should have been prepared for this because I have a brother-in-law that works in terrorism and is a consultant for the government. And he was working uh, with a water company for a long time and looking at processes and how could we prevent a water contamination or a water attack. And when you think about it, bioterrorism is certainly a possibility. I believe there were a lot of people who thought this wasn't going to happen to us. Yeah. And if you look at how it started and how quickly it has spread through everywhere and every continent except Antarctica, the world doesn't have that. The theory of the six degrees of separation, we're not six degrees of separation anymore, clearly. We're much less than that. And we have to be be prepared. And you just don't know. I mean, I had somebody today say, okay, well, we've got a family member in one more week right now, they'll be hopefully asymptomatic. It'll be two weeks. Do you think that's enough? I don't know what I think. Right. I don't, I think there's not enough data. Right. Did you guys hear or read something about there was a mutation or a second strain? I mean, it's, you know, I have heard that. 
Right. I've heard that. Well, and then you well, wonder. Well, you know, Jackie, as much as you travel, you could be patient zero almost. <laughs> <laughs> I came back. You know, I came back and was taking my temperature twice a day. And, you know, they say now take a big, deep breath, hold your breath for 10 seconds if you don't cough or be short oh, yeah. breath, you know, you don't have fibrosis in your lungs. I mean, you, you look at all of these things and you try to, to self-test yourself. Um, so, well, yeah. I have a theory on why we weren't prepared because nurses are not in charge. Well, nurses would have known true. that we needed to be prepared because everything a nurse does every single day, and certainly a nurse anesthetist is being prepared, thinking about what if, what if this happened? I mean, that's everything. Sandy Marie used to tell us in school, anesthesia is 90% in your head preparing for all of the things that could happen. Right. And, and if nurses would have been in charge, now, what irritates me about the news, they're always asking the doctors, and they're not even, a lot of times, the ones who are front line. They might be for five minutes, but it's nurses 24-7. Yeah. We even have a facility in North Carolina, a very well-known, beloved institution that are not letting anesthesia residents take care of COVID-19 because they are indispensable and they have said it's okay if CRNAs get sick because they're dispensable. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, I can tell do you not lie. My son-in-law who's a, a third year resident will finish a year from May. He's in the trenches right now every day at the county hospital where the city supported hospital with the sickest patients. So mm-hmm. apparently here at Indiana University they think they can use them just fine. You know, the other thing I was going to say, I think as a country, and we've all seen this, right? We nurses, we're very germaphobic and we wash our hands. And for years, I've gotten on the airplane and gotten out my Clorox wipe and wiped (laughs) my seatbelt clip and wiped my tray table. Mm -hmm. People would look at me like I'm absolutely freaking crazy. (laughs) And in the height of flu season, I think last year on an international flight, I had this woman and man, they were staring at me. And then finally, the woman said to me, "Um, do you have an extra one of those? And her husband kind of berated her, but she cleaned her stuff. I think as a whole nation, when you look around, we've been really crude and stupid about people don't cover their mouths when they cough or sneeze and don't wash their hands. So it's sort of no surprise that this spread as rapidly as it did. And now I'm hoping people are being better from being home a couple days from um, Europe. I went to Hawaii to speak. The state meeting. Yes. I state saw yeah, that. Where you'd great, been. great meeting. Great venue. <laughs> Sharon, we were you supposed know, to go. Back and, When I came back from the flight from Honolulu to Atlanta was absolutely packed. There were two cases when I got to Hawaii. Of course, we weren't testing. That's another thing. We weren't testing. So all these increase in numbers aren't really that big of a surprise because we just weren't testing. So coming back, though, when I got into Atlanta at 630 in the morning, I was amazed it was almost a third or a fourth of the traffic you see got on the plane from Atlanta to Indianapolis, which was a larger plane. Sometimes we have smaller ones. There were 26 people on the whole plane and people were spread out. You could sit where you wanted. You know, it was just amazing. And I did not hear one cough in the Atlanta airport. 
I didn't hear one cough on the airplane. And I thought, okay, this is a victory. People are not traveling right now that have the colds and, you know, Mm -hmm. it's good. Today I heard from Paris and Pascal Rod, our executive director said, you know, we're all trying to look for the good things. Paris has the lowest uh, pollution and smog. You can actually look out and see the city and the air is clean. They've all been quarantined. They've been quarantined in Spain since mid-March. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, think- Jeremy and I were asked to speak at that meeting uh, or rather do some live podcast taping, but Jeremy's, his big meeting was the same weekend, which was canceled. Yeah. So it was, it was we talked LA, about so. it. We talked about it when I was there this time about seeing, you know, they were going to, I think, talk to you guys again, which is a good thing. Yeah, that is a good thing. Well, you know, I think what's interesting about all of this is that you've got so many people on TV, um, doctors, you know, everybody talking about this, but they just don't know. I mean, they're in the same boat as mm-hmm. as people who are trying to forecast what the stock market's going to go. They don't know, you know, or, or weathermen and women. They, they just don't know. And, you know, everybody wants to hang their hat on every word that these physicians get on and, and talk about. And they're going to be right. And this curve's going to do that. But the bottom line is we just don't know. And yeah. we don't know how this thing is going to end or when it's going to end. And, you know, it'd be great if, uh, you know, Trump said the other day, open the country up by uh, by Easter. I mean, is that realistic? Y- you know, I mean, I-, I don't know what the answer is. But, you know, we also know that the economic damage being done by this is, is also a huge concern yes. for everyone. And, yes. um, you know, how much damage is it going to do? And Speaking uh, of that, Jackie. Uh, CRNAs are being, are they having the same problem as they are in the United States? Not having any work? Not that I've heard of. And there, it's very different because overseas there is a rule that everybody's supposed to work with an anesthesiologist. Doesn't always happen, especially, well, not in Africa. They don't have enough providers. But we'll talk Europe. We'll talk uh, the Nordic bloc. They have been working very short of nurses, especially Sweden. Uh, for for one, they my understanding is I haven't seen one person write back and say my hours are cut. Most of them work. A lot of them work at government hospitals, mm-hmm. so they're not. They're going to be utilized. They don't right. have N99. They don't really have PRN. Right. I'm sure there's some part time somewhere, but right. it's not. I'm not hearing any of that from our country reps. When they report, it is again all hands on deck. This is how many cases we have. This is our quarantine that's going on and seeing kind of what sort of protective gear they have. But it's mostly just been everyone's working and working a lot. Right. Not even still these tugs of war. Oh, yes, you can't you can't do this because it's not in your scope or uh, which and that we could we could learn from all of that. And it's going to be interesting, again, looking back when these executive orders have been put forward. And then you look back and say, hey, listen, people didn't die because people were practicing to their fullest scope. So, again, me being the glass half full kind of person, I'm thinking that there's going to be good things that are going to come out of this going forward for the profession. I do. I think teamwork is important. I really do. And I think that, you know, obviously 
politics is no place for healthcare. If we all, and that's what I say when I meet with groups overseas and it's difficult because I'm a US CRNA and there's a certain reputation for that. But I've, I, I say it all the time. Look, I want to focus on taking care of the patient. That's what we all Absolutely. Want. And if well, we focus on the patient, the politics will go away. Well, it, you know, it goes back to what you said when we initially started talking uh, and kind of looking at Africa. They have less resources than we do, and that would make them utilize teamwork more effectively. All right, and gonna... so now we are in their shoes. We have limited resources. Yeah. So hopefully going forward, we will learn better teamwork because of limited resources. I think, so. I think we're all going to have to come together in all aspects to figure this out. So we make sure something like this doesn't happen again. Well, Sharon and Jackie, I'm going to take a little different view than what you said, Jackie, because I think yeah. if you could take money out of the equation, politics would go away. And that's the bottom line. And we all know that's what it's about. Um, and, you know, here in the United States, unfortunately, those two are attached at the hip. And that's what the whole battle is about. And let's just call a spade a spade. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the reason politics is in health care is because there's a lot of dollars. I mean, you got almost 20% of GDP tied up in health care. And right. um, there's your bottom line. So, well, and, and even now, when you look at the all the industries and economic devastation, while healthcare is not going to go away, you know, no. we may have less elective things going on, but all the hospitals are going to be filled up with catastrophic cases. Right. And there's a demand for healthcare. And we're going to, we may see, again, the elective, those of us that that work with elective things. That's going to be down for a little while, but it's going to come back and it's going to come back strong. And then there's going to be a big, big need again. What's interesting. We actually had a a CRNA right in today and she's, uh, she's worked with us for a while and she's 1099. And, um, the the misinformation that I think a lot of people are getting is she says that it's going to be down for six months. And I say, all right, if, if you take elective procedures and surgical procedures out of hospitals for six months, you're going to have tons of hospitals that are going to be bankrupt. There's just not going to be enough money there because it's such an economic engine for the hospital to have surgery and surgeons and anesthetists. And um, so, uh, you know, just the misinformation out there about this here is is interesting. I just wonder what it's like in the rest of the world. Are they getting that misinformation as well? You know, I don't know. I haven't really heard that from anyone. And I think if we look at, at China, so from December to what was it last week when they had no new reported cases. Right. So that's a fairly, that's a good time estimate, I guess, in a way, three months, yeah. four months, coming three and a half months. And then there's been reports out about how Hong Kong tried to go back to work too early and has had a resurgence of cases. Yeah. You know, Taiwan did really well quickly. They shut their borders. Of course, they're right there close to China. Right. You know, they shut their borders. Our second vice president is from Taiwan. She was told immediately she couldn't, no healthcare workers could leave the country. Mm. They weren't supposed, they're supposed to be available to report as needed. You can't take vacation. But they, they tightened down 
Yeah. And they did it really quickly, and they had a low number of cases and a low number of mortality. I understand South Korea did as well. Uh, from South Korea. Well, they had. I was in South Korea in 2015 when they had MERS. Do you believe oh, that? Wow. wow. Yes. I told you you could be patient zero, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I went to the International Council of Nurses meeting, but my husband was not happy about it. But MERS was on the downside, but they still had MERS. And I met, I met Sylvia Trent Adams, who at that time was leading all the AIDS research and public health. And, you know, now what I can't remember what her title is, but she was traveling from the U.S. from Washington. And I said, OK, I feel glad you know, that I went ahead and came. But it was really a, a good when I think back on it, maybe a good exercise. All of the hotels we were staying at a Marriott, of course, they closed their their lounges. Every place you looked, there was hand sanitizer, I swear, about every 10 feet. We met in the convention center. They closed hospital tours. Some people wore masks. They had masks there if, if you wanted to. And I said, well, I kind of felt safe being in a group of nurses at a nursing home. Mm-hmm. Right. We know how to be just to be safe and to not spread disease. And we've got good hand washing, as I said before, in, in hygiene. And so I, I don't know, there were no issues. I went, came back, it was all fine. But it does give you a little bit of pause, I guess. Well, talking about being around nurses, it's just like last night, whenever we were having our, our little happy hour together. And the, what's the first thing when Carol Doyster got on? Ladies, I've been doing some research and you need to put emollient <laughs> in your nose because it will trap viral loads, uh, <laughs> which is something I've always done. Juan Quintana <clears throat> used to laugh at me whenever I was president and he was president-elect because I never got sick on airplanes because I put bacitracin or neosporin in my nose every time mm. before I got on. Now, go to the bathroom and do it privately because people look at you sticking stuff sure. up your nose airplane but <laughs> he and I had to fly back and forth from DC to Chicago like several times in a few days and he was laughing at me well he stopped laughing because he got sick and yeah. I did not hey, Sharon. But back to the original point Carol you know was right all over that you There's need to lot. start doing this ladies yes hey Sharon I, I've just been refusing to shave my nose hairs because I know that you know <laughs> it's good it's, for it's, something it's good you know I, I figure right now is not a good time not to have nose hairs that stuff no. will just go right through now don't you know? let it grow out of your nose that's oh, come disgusting. on it'll just block it coming in you know I might even grow a mustache or something here so. I have a little personal <laughs> ionizer that I ordered I don't even can't even tell you how long ago it has to be 10 years old that you wear around your neck when you travel oh. and you turn it on and admits these ions. It's supposed to clear a three foot space around you to trap spores and who knows, but I do use it a lot when I travel and I hadn't used it for a while and I pulled it out and I wore it when I went to Paris through the airport mm-hmm. on the trains I wore it going to Hawaii, wore it back through the airport because it, you charge it with the USB port. It lasts a long time. And, you know, I do think, I don't know, I didn't, maybe I just didn't come in contact with somebody, but there were people coughing in Paris. I was on the train, ugh, go through the airport. I didn't get anything, but 
Yeah. Well, we're glad we're socially distanced from you right now, Jackie. Yeah. Well, it's been more than two weeks. Here. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> uh, well, you know, my mother-in-law, she's, she's funny about things and she's really pretty sharp. And, you know, everybody started making a run on the toilet paper and oh, she, yes. she started looking at this and she goes, you know, you need to get you a bidet. <laughs> and I was like, really? She's like, yeah, get, you need to get a bidet. You can get one and it's manual. You just hook it to the toilet. She yep. said, the only problem is, is the water's really cold. So I told so Sarah. my son-in-law bought one. Yeah, I did too. I bought it. I hadn't hooked it up yet, but that is my project this weekend. I am hooking up that thing. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> Amazing what we'll do, right? Yeah, Danielle's boyfriend's got one. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> but we don't have an outlet in our bathroom, so I can't get Pierce one. Uh, well, Pierce would probably like it, actually, Sharon. I mean, I'm he just would, saying. You know. would. He would. <laughs> if he could get you off of it, he'd oh, freak. <laughs> Well, Jackie, we want to thank you for, for being here today. We know everybody's busy and, um, you know, especially you guys right now. Anything you kind of want to leave our uh, listeners with as we close here? I would just love to say that I am very lucky and blessed to be serving as the U.S. country rep to the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists. It's a great group of people. And the camaraderie we have together, the information sharing, people are sending, you know, here's what we're doing. There was an early study published in Japan, and I literally changed the last part of my IFMA lecture in Hawaii and put up the study was in Japanese, but our rep interpreted to English. And I was able to say, this is what they're doing in Japan right now. This is the meds they're giving. This is what they're looking at for treatment. And I had a few other things that because... I got that information that day or the day before it was still flowing to be able to share that mm. in immediately. And then I've been able to send resources from the AANA out on our um, blogs and our email distribution chains. And Gary Bridges had put up a COVID handbook that some a friend physician from China gave him and I sent it out and it's been very helpful. People are writing policies in their countries right now using those resources. It's just amazing if you just have the contact information for someone and you know and you trust them what you can do together. And literally, I'm hoping that all of our information and working together will save lives of patients and our providers also. Absolutely. Well, you guys are all smart people and you all have wonderful and great ideas. And to Sharon's point earlier, you know, you definitely take a different scope of things than a physician or, or another colleague would. And so we definitely want to get those voices out there to help out in this situation. I know Randy was, uh, what at the white house, uh, yes. what last week, I guess. Um, and, and right. had a seat at the table and, you know, that's pretty impressive there as well. So CRNA is making a difference out there in this world. So we appreciate all you guys do and Jackie, especially you, as we know you give so much of your time and yourself to this industry. So, well, Sharon, you want to, you want to end us here? I guess we will. And we've got more podcasts lined up that we'll be taping in the next couple of days. And we'll be pushing them out as as we get them taped. So keep on listening. And Jackie, thank you for everything that you do for us. 
Well, thank you and Jeremy for getting the word out. It's great. Absolutely. Well, as we uh, said on the show we did yesterday, if there's CRNAs out there that want to get stuff out and we can use this platform for that, please let us know. You can email Sharon or myself uh, at our Beyond the Mask uh, email address, and uh, we'll be be glad to help out in any way we can. So we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mask with Jeremy Stanley and... Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to know more, check us out on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and make sure and leave us a review, but only if it's positive. That's right. We don't want any negative reviews out there. There's enough negativity in the world, folks. You're not kidding. (laughs) Until next time. It's a wrap. Hi, everybody. This is Jeremy. Remember back in episode 45 when my co-hosts Sharon Pierce and Kimberly Gordon talked about the candidate school for nurses that they're piloting at Yale for May of 2020. The application process opened on January 1st. If you're a nurse or a nurse anesthetist and interested in running for elected office or even if you're interested in managing another nurse's campaign, you will not want to miss this opportunity. As the first candidate school for nurses in the country, you will want to be in the inaugural class. Just go to the Yale Nursing website and search Candidate School for Nurses and apply today. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry. 
or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.